This podcast is an EGA production. Welcome to Forecasting the Middle East, the EGA podcast on Middle East business, politics, and trends. I'm Tyler Jones, Director of Middle East and North Africa with EGA in Washington, D.C. As the international community prepares for COP28, climate experts already caution that the global stock take will not produce much in the way of good news. According to a March 2022 report issued by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the world is on track to surpass 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming by 2030. The Middle East in particular is likely to feel the effects of a warming planet. As one of the hottest regions in the world, the Middle East is in danger of drought, water shortage, and mass migrations caused by untenable living conditions. But action and innovation across the region gives hope. Morocco has established itself as a regional leader in clean energy. In June 2021, Morocco updated its UN Climate Pledge with a promise to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions by 17 to 18% by 2030. It has also made a significant effort to reduce government support for fossil fuels. With us today to discuss the renewable energy sector in the Middle East is Hisham Bouzekri, Director of Research, Development and Industry at the Moroccan Agency for Sustainable Energy, otherwise known as Mazen. Mazen is responsible for renewable energy sources, chiefly solar, wind, and hydropower. Mazen has become a regional leader in deploying and managing renewable energy projects. Today, Hisham spoke with us about the renewable energy sector in the Middle East, opportunities for growth, and likely obstacles on the road toward net zero. Hisham Bouzekri, Director of Research, Development, and industry for the Moroccan Agency for Sustainable Energy. Thanks very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Hisham, I'll start giving just a, uh, a background on the Moroccan renewable landscape right now with some numbers here that at this point I'm sure you're very familiar with. In 2009, Morocco set an energy plan which aimed for 42% of total installed power capacity to be renewable energy by 2020. Since then, Morocco has pledged to increase the renewables in its electricity mix to 52% by 2030, with a mixture of solar, wind, and hydro. And today, renewables make up almost two-fifths of Morocco's electricity capacity. Some fossil fuel subsidies have been drastically cut, and the country operates some of the world's largest clean energy projects. This is a success story. Morocco announced its plan to the world, and by all accounts, it's executing quite well. So the first question I have for you is, what about Morocco, either politically or economically, made this type of progress possible? Well, I think we have to dive back to 2009 and uh, remember the geopolitical situation there and especially the prices of, of oil. So I have to um, remind maybe everyone that Morocco is highly energy imports dependent. So uh, back in 2009, we were importing 98% of the energy that we consume in Morocco. So I think in the mind of many people, Morocco is part of the MENA region. So uh, oil is available. Morocco is not an oil producing country, neither oil nor gas. So we import all of that and some of it went to electricity production. And with the price of, of oil barrel going above $120 then, it was unsustainable for pu public finance. 
So what we decided to do there is to make use of what Morocco has in abundance, which is renewable energy. And we master planned a um, transformation of our energy sector and you've uh, said the right number. So 42% of installed capacity from renewable energy by 2020 and 52% by 2030. But there were so many ways to go about doing it. The, in 2009, renewable energy, even solar, uh, maybe we will have a hard time believing that, but was not competitive with coal back then. So the, the government has to um, subsidize some of that renewable energy in order for it to be competitive with fossil fuel equivalents. And so this was both a, I would say, a strategic independence move, but also a bet on the future that renewable energy will come to be more competitive uh, in there. So I would say the biggest driver for Morocco in renewable energy has been a top level um, commitment to green development, but also the economics of it and the dependence on energy imports. So that those were, are the leading factors why we decided to go the way with it. So do you think then that what Morocco is doing based on what you've seen regionally, do you think this can be replicated across the region? I think I think so. I think it has a different different formats in every country. What we have seen is that there is a, a growing interest in renewable energy after the uh, energy from renewable sources become more competitive than fossil fuel equivalents. So even if you didn't have the uh, the green fiber conviction, just the pure economics of it is driving renewable energy adoption around the world. In many of the reports coming out, uh, the, the vast majority of investments in the world in, the, in, re, in energy are coming from renewable energy expansion plans. What we have seen through our partnerships in Africa is that uh, every African country has a, an interesting combination of renewable resources. It's either solar and wind like Morocco or wind and biomass in some of the countries hydro and solar in other countries. So there is always an interesting combination of renewable energy that could contribute to the portfolio of uh, energy generation in these countries. So I would say the, the move towards a more balanced uh, portfolio of energy generation between renewable energy and fossil fuels uh, is always uh, something that is desirable in many countries. It is duplicable as Morocco has, has, uh, has done it, but not in the exact format for every country. Yeah. So we see some of the countries who are oil producing or gas producing, you see that there is also a, a risk towards stranded assets. And so there is a resistance towards moving too fast towards renewable energy. In some, in some of the countries, the public finances do not allow for public investment in renewable energy. And so the private sector role in these countries have to be more significant. But in general, the model to bring renewable energy to a significant portion of energy generation is always possible. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a model that can be duplicated elsewhere. So then we've heard about the successes Morocco has experienced and they're well earned. When you're looking out on the horizon, then what challenges are you and Mazen seeing for Morocco in the renewable sector? So I think Morocco is no different than, than other countries. When you bring the level of renewable energy contribution to the mix to a certain level beyond a few, maybe 10, 20%, intermittency becomes a very big challenge. And so 
in everything that we are doing, uh, we are combining renewable energy adoption with storage options. And so Morocco has been leading uh, in terms of uh, solar with storage, which is a concentrated solar uh, solar power. Um, this is a special breed of solar where you're using uh, the heat coming from the from the sun to heat up a, a medium molten salt in the case of Morocco. And that allows you to continue generation for hours after the sunset. So in our cases, for the, for example, in the Norwars Zezaz complex, we have approximately 580 megawatts of capacity installed. Approximately 500 megawatts of those are coming from concentrated solar power, CSP. Two parabolic trough uh, plants and one tower that is the biggest tower in all of, in all of Africa. Um, th this is, a, a, I would say, a choice that is motivated by a number of reasons. So one of them is the ability to provide some um, stability in generation. Unlike PV, when you're using CSP to generate electricity, uh, you are able to run a turbine, which is a classical type of electricity generation from coal. And so you're able to provide a lot of stability in terms of generation. Another one is that we are a developing country and we need to create jobs here. And so if you are just importing PV and installing it, you're just displacing the problem. Uh, so CSP allowed us to reach approximately 31% of local integration, which is the, 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 um, the orders that went to local industry to build those, uh, those generation. And in Morocco, the demand curve uh, actually peaks specifically between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. And so if you, if you want to do uh, a matching between your generation capabilities and the demand, you need a generation that can meet that peak. So um, CSP allowed us to do exactly that. Moving forward, we see a lot of innovation coming into renewable generation with, with, with storage. So the next project that uh, Mazen will be um, developing is in the city of Midelt. This is a uh, approximately 800 megawatt of installed capacity from solar that will combine PV and CSP. So CSP will heat uh, a molten salt to a certain level, and then the electricity coming from PV were superheated to a, to a higher level, approximately 570 degrees. And that allows you to reach higher efficiencies in terms of turbine production. So this is a, an innovative way where we see that storage combined with uh, electricity, with the renewable and solar generation can bring an effective and reliable answer to uh, grid stability needs, to peak uh, demands in the evening. And we see also that there is uh, an increasing interest in uh, decentralized storage. And so um, we think that the ability to have and bring online a number of technology storage that will answer different constraints will be key in adopting more renewable and bringing more renewable into the fold of uh, electricity production um, in, into the grid. So I know that, you know, in addition to relying less on coal to reduce emissions, there is an argument specifically uh, when it comes to Morocco's renewable sector, an argument that says there should be less of an emphasis or less of a focus on these large scale mega projects and rolling out perhaps at the same time, these smaller scale projects that allow for entrepreneurs to answer specific needs across the country in different regions. So 
the first question there is, do you think that that argument is valid? Do you see merit to that? And then what progress do you, are you currently seeing in that effort? So absolutely, I think the the, the argument has uh, has merit. Uh, what what we have to uh, remember is that the government intervention through Mazan back in two thousand nine was at a stage where renewable energy was not competitive. A lot of things has happened since then. PV today is extremely competitive, um, and it's actually the cheapest form of energy you can produce, at least in Morocco and probably around the world. So the now that the um, the competitiveness of projects of renewable energy generation projects are established and there is a bankability uh, to these projects, I think the the intervention of the government can be scaled back. And what what we see is that uh, Morocco has enacted a number of laws that allows the private sector to do decentralized distributed uh, generation. Um, we see uh, an uptake that is quite significant from industries. So there are multiple motivations for that. One of them is that some of these industries are export industries to Europe. Europe is about to establish the carbon um, adjustment mechanism uh, at its borders. And so they see really a commercial incentive to um, bring more green energy into their production. And so um, there is a quite a significant uptake as of as of this year and last year for uh, rooftop PV for industries to reduce their reliance on uh, grid generated electricity. On the private sector and the individual sector, there is also uh, some interesting cases. So we see that uh, you can reduce your actual bill at the end of the of the month if you install some PV at, at your installation at your at your house, and so. We, we think that this is uh, part of the future. It's not the full future. We, don't, we still think that there will be um, a role for uh, utility scale, massive uh, renewable energy production plants. So for example, uh, you cannot do uh, competitively wind energy at an individual level. I mean, you, can, you can't compete with these uh, windmills that are quite significant. So this will probably stay at the hands of government entities. And when I say government, I really mean um, sometimes it's a public-private partnership. Sure. So, um, but it's, it has to be utility scale. CSP uh, or concentrated solar power. There is a the majority of the role will be these huge plants that uh, such as Mazan are are building. But there is also um, a place for a decentralized or distributed uh, for uh, industrial heat. And so we see a lot of interest there to have decentralized small installation to generate heat and use it as heat, not generate heat and use it for electricity production as we are, as we are doing. So the steps that the, the, the Moroccan government is taking is, uh, first of all, uh, we have an, a national regulator. Uh, this is a very important piece of the puzzle. It has to be an independent regulator that sets the rules, sets the tariffs, and has a clear roadmap for how does uh, an investment in renewable, private investment in renewable energy return some, some type of, uh, of, of ROE that is, uh, that is uh, predictable. The other one is um, a law that uh, requires the grid operator to absorb some excess production from private actors. And this law has just passed uh, in, in, in our um, parliament in, in Morocco. 
So these two building blocks are clarifying the role of private distributed generation towards legal and in terms of commercial uh, surplus. Now the law says that any grid operator will have to accept up to 20% of the energy production from any private actor. So just a private citizen or, or company or any, any, any individual or any corporate that invests in renewable energy. And, and let's be frank, most of it will be PV. Yeah. So if, if you're doing that, we, we have to keep in mind what has happened elsewhere. So for example, in California, you have the, 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 the duck curve where everyone is producing in the midday and you have some steep uh, increases and decreases in production. So that's why the role of centralized utility scale, uh, solar wood storage uh, comes to balance out a grid. And this is a, an important approach. It has to be seen as a, a collective approach by pr both private and, and public uh, actors. So I want to pivot here for a moment to talk about financing in the renewable world. Uh, you know, when you look on the continent of Africa specifically, you'll see many of the communities that are suffering the most from climate change are also the ones that have contributed the least to this problem. So when we're talking about concessional finance right now and getting the financial support to these communities, what do you think needs to occur to support these developing states? So um, let me draw a few uh, lessons learned from our experience before we dive into that yeah. uh, specific question. So when we started back um, um, a, about a decade ago, uh, we figured out that there are multiple risk sources that increases the risk perception and then increases the financing cost for these projects. One of them is land ownership. This is key and speculation into land will drive up the cost of renewable energy and make them less uh, financially viable. The other one is access to the grid for um, offtaking of the electricity. So infrastructure in general, access to roads, access to water, access to grid. This is also something that is quite important. And the third one is the, um, the viability, financial viability of the offtaker. So what Mazen did is that we secured all of these three risk or perceptive risk um, sources. Uh, Mazen owned the land, make it available to the developer, invested public money in infrastructure that allows these, um, these uh, plants to be connected uh, through roads, through water, through grid connection, but also uh, use government guarantee to access these financing. Some very positive developments have happened since then. For example, when you look at the, um, the Green Clean Fund uh, that has been dedicated to, to, uh, to fund these projects, this is a very positive development because we're moving from a concessional financing where government needs to put uh, a, a national or sovereign guarantee into project financing where only the viability of the offtaker is really the, really the guarantee for the, for the financing. So moving from concessional, meaning in our terms, uh, I don't know what you mean, if you mean the same thing by concessional, we mean that the loan is not made to the project, but made to the institution and, and probably also to, to the government. So we need to move away from that into project financing. Because many of the utilities in these African countries will not be able to have a, um, 
um, financial health that allows it to to uh, to put to carry more loans. The the other uh, aspect that we we see in uh, in the in the project is that we we think that the projects are viable in themselves now. Uh, so you can build a loan application based on a spreadsheet of the incomes that are coming. Your, your questions on communities touch a, uh, a, a much, I would say, much more complex problem because um, entities like GSF, GCF um, cannot deal with communities. So you need a middle, something in the middle there that consolidates a number of community projects and take them to the level in terms of financing where they can discuss with these bigger, bigger entities. Uh, we see some interesting developments in Africa. So we see a lot of private developers that are aggregating multiple projects in multiple countries uh, and bringing them to a portfolio that can allow the international finance to come in. We think this is a, a, a correct, uh, correct approach. Um, we also think that there, there needs to be a um, special tier for, for low-income communities. Uh, where it's more or more of a corporate or social or national or even international social responsibility to bring electricity to the 600 million Africans that cannot afford it. So if we go at it with a pure financial perspective, uh, I think some of the communities will be left out. And so we, we need a multi-tiered approach where some of these communities that can pay for energy that will be cheaper, they are already paying for it today through yeah. inefficient means be it uh, fuel for gensets or other types of, of local generation, uh, they can have that same energy for a cheaper price. But some of the communities just cannot afford to, yeah. to have even uh, that, those gensets. And so for these communities, we need a more social responsibility approach rather than a financial approach. So looking forward then, coming at this from a, a logistical optic, when you look at the global clean energy supply chain, where do you see the biggest bottlenecks right now? Mm. So I, I would um, widen your question from bottlenecks to challenges because bottlenecks are just one form of challenge. And sure. what we see um, is that um, the uh, over-reliance on a single provider of any technology is dangerous. And um, it's something that is, uh, we have seen clearly uh, through the COVID, COVID years, couple of years. So in Morocco, we believe that a competitive offering of industry for renewable energy can be established in multiple places and that we have all interests into, I would say a regional integration where obviously competitiveness of offering has to be in mind. But in Morocco, for example, we believe that we have been successful in establishing an ecosystem for automotive uh, um, industry for exporting uh, a lot of cars uh, closer to um, close to 500,000 cars. If we were able to do it for the automotive industry, we should be able to do it in, in the renewable energy arena. What exact form should we uh, take? I don't know. It's something that, uh, that needs to be discussed. There was recently a very uh, hopeful announcement of an electrolyzer 
uh, industry that is being uh, committed to Morocco. Uh, this is this is a very positive development, and probably we'll get back to green hydrogen later on. But what what we see is that, for example, PV panels, the only place where it's it's competitive, it's it's in China now. But even they are also creating subsidiaries in in Southeast Asia. We're hoping to see some of that come to uh, to Africa. Uh, the U.S. is uh, reshoring some of their um, PV uh, PV generation thanks to some very generous subsidies from the federal government. Um, but we we think that uh, the supply chain for renewable energy needs to be rethought of uh, in 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 light of what we have seen in uh, during the COVID years, and in light of the fact that. Uh, renewable energy will only be able to create meaningful jobs through industry. So in, in the case of Morocco, we have seen that you could create thousands of jobs for a plant, a utility scale plant construction, but those evaporate at the end of the construction phase and you're left with a few dozens. Um, so unless we are able to use that renewable energy or you know, renewable economy, into a job creating opportunities, then we're just displacing a, a problem. We, we really need to address this from a holistic approach um, and, and be able to justify the public investment through the creation of local jobs. So hearing that and hearing about the challenges, putting that in the context of later this fall, COP28 will convene for the global stock take. And there is a widespread understanding that we will see we are off track when it comes to Paris. So where do you see or where are you finding optimism when it comes to technological developments or policy or social developments? Where are you optimistic with where we are headed? I think my biggest um, reason for optimism is the competitive of renewable energy itself. Uh, we have seen a tremendous decrease of prices in terms of the levelized cost of energy from PV and from wind. Uh, we think this will continue and be compounded by the reduction of the cost of storage. Uh, the um, mobility sector is driving down the prices of kilowatt hour for uh, cars, for EVs. And we think this will also benefit some stationary storage. So I think th this is my number one go-to reason if I'm looking for optimism uh, in, in, in the field. The, the other one is that the shocks and instability of um, fossil fuel supply around the world. I mean, we've, we took it for granted for decades. Oil is producing some, being produced somewhere else and it's brought to you and there is a stable supply of that. We see uh, this as no longer the case. So um, the, the, I would say the importance of a, um, I would say, I wouldn't say autonomy, but at least some level of sovereignty in terms of energy supply is rising in many governments' priorities. So this is also something that is, um, that is very positive. The, the other one that, that I see as a potential source for optimism is that at least we're very close to Europe geographically, but also economically, more than half of the Moroccan exports are going to Europe. So we're, we're very attentive to uh, the policies being enacted in Europe. There has been some major announcements in terms of um, 
40 gigawatts of electrolyzer capacity to be installed. A strong move, including some forms of subsidies for uh, green, green hydrogen and green and moving away from fossil fuels. These are very strong drivers that will undoubtedly uh, bring uh, the ecosystem to address those. And the, the last point is, uh, I think the price of carbon um, is something that will, um, it's, it's like a tide that will bring all boats uh, to, to be afloat. So we see some leading governments like Norway, who is already placing um, their own national markets for to about $200 per ton of CO2. Um, we see Europe starting to have some really interesting discussions into a um, continent-wide market for, for CO2. And that will have an immediate impact on the tax on the borders, what is called the SEBAM, which is the carbon emission uh, adjustment mechanism, border adjustment mechanism. Uh, as soon as you increase the price of tons of carbons within the EU, then the price of imports that are um, carbon intensive will also increase. And so this will drive all of the ecosystem. So I have a stronger belief in economic mechanisms rather than political commitments, which can change um, depending on the governments in place. Sure. The final question I have for you today, it revolves around, frankly, a pretty jarring statistic. Africa has 60% of the world's best solar resources, but only 1% of solar generation capacity. So as a continent, how can Africa harness the full potential of solar? So um, when you dig a bit deeper into that particular jarring statistic, um, it's also the fact that a lot of these uh, countries in Africa lack infrastructure. You, you don't have any grid. So what we see as a uh, very interesting opportunity is that Africa does not have to follow on the footsteps of developed countries in terms of renewable energy adoption. Just like when you look at the, uh, for example, when you look at the, um, the, the mobile phone adoption in Africa, it was a much higher rate than it was in, in other existing uh, economies or developing economies. The um, adoption of mobile in Africa leaped over the fixed landline and we had much higher adoption of mobile cash than it was available way before it was available in developed economies. So I think the adoption of renewable energy in Africa will follow the same path, a highly accelerated path into solar um, and also a decentralized distributed one. So we see microgrids or mini grids as having a, a bright future in, in, in Africa. We see a lot of these villages where you can bring you know, a few TVs, a storage, a small mid uh, low low voltage distribution grid and you've solved the problem for that community we also see an opportunity for a um, i would say a, a value added creation for the community beyond the energy so uh, you can create jobs there by people who are managing these microgrids you can create a local economy uh, and the energy it will make it possible for some transformative industries to take to take shape in these places so, for example, in, in Mazen, we work quite extensively on storage, on types of storage. Uh, we have a, a, a word bank, um, a, um, I would say, um, 
It's, it's really a donation for or financing for a battery test bed to bring up the level of competency and testing um, to, to in, in batteries. And we combine that with a lot of uh, solar generation through mini grids. Uh, and we have uh, quite a, a really interesting mini grid test bed here that we foresee as being to the benefit of all African and partner countries. And Mazen is, is very active in the uh, Desert to Power Initiative by the, uh, uh, the African Development Bank. So moving forward, we, we see that 1% uh, increasing in exponential form in, in the future. Uh, financing will be key, but also the ability to combine that with uh, local value creation in terms of installers being local, um, maybe some of the manufacturing can be also localized. And if countries and communities see uh, solar with batteries as an alternative to gensets, as a uh, clean and competitive way into moving into an electrified uh, future, I think the adoption will be grounds up as opposed to top down from, uh, from decisions by the government. Well, thank you very much for this discussion. Hisham Bouzekri, Director of Research, Development and Industry for the Moroccan Agency for Sustainable Energy. Thanks for being thank with you. us Thank you. Thank you for having me.